0: The scripture reading for this morning comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been with us for a few weeks, or if you are new uh, and visiting, we're looking and we've just begun a series on David, the single most documented figure in ancient history. And if you think about it, thousands of years later, we're still talking about David. We're intrigued by David. We're still looking into him. I don't know anybody, anybody today, or even in recent history, that 2,000 years from now, where thousands of years from now we'll still be talking about. But we're doing that with David. And the story of David doesn't begin with David. It begins with the life of Samuel, the last great judge. Israel, before it became a kingdom, was ruled by judges. Samuel was the last great judge before this era of kings in the Old Testament. But this passage, only three verses, it brings up a very intriguing question. How did all of Israel recognize Samuel pre-news, pre-newspapers, pre-internet. How did the word of Samuel spread to the degree that all people in Israel recognized him as the prophet of God? And we see here that it was this. God's word, God revealed himself through his word to Samuel. That's what we read here. Continuously by the word. Samuel grew up in the Lord and God revealed himself To Samuel by his word, the importance of the word. That's how the people recognized him. That's how we're going to recognize him today. It's the importance of God's word. That's what we're going to learn about today. Four things, very quick things. I know that most of us have two points right now in our heads, right? Offense and defense. Right this afternoon, right Uh, with the Eagles. There are four quick uh, principles. I know it's a very big game this afternoon. Um, uh, Four quick, four quick things today about this text. God's word reveals. God's word endures. God's word is irresistible. The power of God's word. God's word is applicable. It reveals. It endures. It's powerful to resist. It's applicable. First, God speaks to us. He reveals himself through his word. Because it says here, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. Continued to. How did he appear? When God appears, he doesn't necessarily give special effects. There's no mystical experience necessarily that we experience. The main way which God revealed himself then is the way he reveals himself today. It's through his word. God speaks through his word. Verse 21, we have a God who talks to us. We have a God who speaks, and throughout history, what he did, he would come to certain people, prophets, apostles, to reveal his word. So God chooses to reveal himself through his words. He affirms through his word. He asserts and commands through his word. He speaks. In other words, another way of saying that is, God is personal. He's not hidden. Now today, we, tr- we have struggled with that. We live in a time today where it's become acceptable to say that I'm looking for God, I'm looking for his voice, but it's become equally acceptable for us to say, or unacceptable for us to say, I found God. I found truth. That's become unacceptable. Today, our people say we can't really know God. It's okay to look for God. It's okay to look for a spiritual experience, but to say that we found him, we can't really know him. There's nothing more untrue than that. God speaks. He chose to reveal himself through his word. And Samuel, we see Samuel spoke the words of God. Not just words about God, but the words of God. Now, it says in this text that God revealed himself through his word. How do you get to know God personally? You know, it doesn't just say that God revealed his mind, even though it did. It does not the word. It doesn't, say, it doesn't just say that God reveals, the Bible doesn't just reveal God's ethics, even though it does. The Bible doesn't just share doctrine even though he does he doesn't just share theology even though he does god reveals himself through his word through his law he speaks to us the law is it demonstrates the character of god we see it as 10 laws the 10 commandments it reveals the character of god each one of those commandments. When God says do not commit adultery, you know what he's saying? I am faithful to the end. You can be messed up, torn up, torn down. I am faithful to the end. I have laws in my house. Unstated laws. I say this all the time. I'm a, it's the only Philadelphia team that I don't support. I, I'm a giant, huge Boston Red Sox fan that means that none of my children will ever like the New York Yankees, right? If you are, my wife is a diehard Phillies fan. That means that you cannot like the Mets in my house, right? That's just how it is. You can't like the Braves. You can't like the Mets. And so those are unstated laws. Thou shalt not like the Yankees, New York Yankees. You cannot wear Yankees. You're not, no one, none of, nobody I love will walk into my house wearing Yankees paraphernalia, right? Because if you love me, you know what I love, you would mock me, you would scoff at me to wear something else, right, other than, I mean, at least wear something neutral, right? That's, that's what you're going to do. So um, God's, God reveals himself, his character through his law, and he speaks to us through his law. That's the first point. The second point, God's word endures, it lasts. Verse 19 it says here, something, you know, if you read it quickly, you, don't, you kind of miss it. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel let none of God's words fall to the ground. God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, the Hebrew language is very picturesque in the way it says things. If you read the Hebrew you often find the Hebrew language very concrete, but also metaphorical in a way it speaks about certain things. For example, when you're reading in English and you hear and you read about the presence of God, there's no Hebrew word for presence. Presence as in, uh, you know, appearing before us. There's no Hebrew word for that. Whenever you see the word presence in the Bible, it's really the Hebrew word for face, countenance, face, face. The face of God. Why? Because in the Hebrew language, to come before someone's face is to be intimate with them, to be deeply intimate with somebody. And we do that today. When you get angry at someone, what do you do? You turn away from them, right? It's like, get out of my face, right? It's, about, it's because you're saying, I, I want to break intimacy with you. I don't want to see you. Hebrew language is metaphorical in a sense, but very concrete. And here it says, none of his words fell to the ground. But it doesn't exactly, you know, none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. It doesn't exactly say that. What it's really saying is God let none of his words fall to the ground. It means that Samuel never, it doesn't mean that Samuel never said anything wrong. It means that when Samuel prophesied, when God revealed his word to Samuel and Samuel spoke, None of those words, God let none of those words ever fall to the ground. And as a result, everybody came to see and to recognize through what Samuel was saying, this is true, this is real, this is good. And they came to see the consistency of it. They came to fall for it, fall in love with it. What does that mean? Here, the word here, to fall to the ground, when something falls to the ground from a tree, what happens? It just sits there and it starts to rot. And it starts to break apart It starts to disintegrate That's what happens And that's, that's the language that's being used here in the Hebrew That God let none of his words fall to the ground And rot, dissipate and disintegrate um, It doesn't fall to pieces God's word never, ever passes away Never rots, never falls apart In other words, the word of God It takes up space It never dissipates when God says something, it's got weight. And that weight means glory. That's what the word glory means. Substance, weight. It never goes away. Human words don't take up space. Human words don't have glory. Human words don't have a whole lot of weight. We're, when we speak, it's a vibration of molecules in the air that falls on your ear and then it vibrates through your ear canal, right, and creates sound. That's what human words do. There's no real effect. When a human being stands in front of a tidal wave and says, stop, what happens? The waves have tremendous weight and it's the human that dissipates and disintegrates and falls to the ground. But when Jesus is standing before the storm and says, be still, the words have power. When we say, let there be light, what happens? When I say, let there be light, First of all, I can't say it that way in my house. I I say, can you turn on the lights for me, please? Right? My words have to be said a certain way, and then somebody else has to go and turn on the lights. Right? My words have no creation power. There's no effectual power. But when God says, let there be light, the words themselves have substance and creation power. It is. It is. There is effect there. When I say, turn on the lights, We have to build a fire. We have to do something, right? God's words are very different. They have creation power, effectual power. Now, the Hebrew text here says God's word never returns to a void. Um, It's a metaphor. You know, when God speaks, when God speaks, his words are real. They shape reality. So when he says, don't lie, when he says, you must repent, When he says, you must be born again. When he says, you will not commit adultery. When he says, husbands, you need to love your wives. When he says, wives, you need to submit to your husbands. Those words are not like your words. He's not making a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, you know, we need to come together on this. That's not what he's saying. They're not negotiable. What he's saying is, my words have power. And to deviate from that is to deviate from reality. That's the way we were designed. God's words define reality. They define the structure of reality. His words will never fall to the ground. Anything that God says will have effect. Jesus, you know, Jesus says, not a jot will pass away until the entire scripture will be fulfilled. That's what he says. God's words endure. Third point, he says, what the text is saying is that scripture cannot be broken. It cannot be resisted. The power of Scripture, you can't resist it. Another way of saying it, I'm going to convey it, is this way The Word of God is going to break you one way or the other. It's going to break you if you submit to it, it's going to break you if you depart from it. Whether you trust it, whether you don't believe it, the Word of God will break you. Now, what does that mean? Because we say, What are you talking about? How could that be? Scripture says, Do not lie. Do not bear false witness, false testimony. Do not lie. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not kill. What scripture is saying here is that you can't break it. You can't break that law. It has to be fulfilled. You know, Jesus says, All my words will be fulfilled. You say, How? This is Philadelphia. We have one of the highest crime rates, one of the highest murder rates in the country. What it means is this, the Bible is true. It's the word of God. You have to build your life on it. If you submit to it, it's going to break you. If you don't submit to it, it's going to break you. It's like this, it's like gravity. You try to break the law of gravity. No one's going to arrest you for breaking the law of gravity, at least not that I know of. No one's going to arrest you. You go up to the top floor of this building and um, you go out onto the, the roof and um, no one's going to arrest you for standing on that roof. Maybe they might, they might. They're more likely to arrest you for standing on the roof, but they're not going to arrest you for jumping off of it. You're breaking the law of gravity, right? The law of gravity tells you certain things. Now, if you break that law of gravity, it's going to break you. It's going to disintegrate you. Because the law will never fall to the ground. There are certain laws that are, that are absolute, right? Um, if you try to break it, the law of gravity is going to break you. That's how the law of God is. Now, some people say, well, I don't really believe that. I believe that God is a God of love. He's a very personal God. I get that, what you're saying there. But, that, you know, God gave us a lot of outdated rules. We get to choose what's right and wrong for us you know, I don't like the fact that he doesn't necessarily going to tell me how to live because he's a God of love. Um, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do what comes to me naturally, and I'm going to do what's right for me. Now, if you come to the Bible and you say, well, there, I definitely like what you say here, but I don't like what you say here, so I'm going to kind of ignore that part right now. I'm going to accept some parts. I'm not going to accept other parts. Listen, we say we have a personal God here right you say that you believe in a personal god but he's not going to get into your life and tell you how to live your life and i say that kind of god is a wooden god that kind of god is impersonal not real a god that cannot contradict you is not god a god that cannot that cannot speak into your life is not real that's a god that we've created for us it's more like a computer you know what a computer is a computer gives you access to tremendous knowledge, tremendous intelligence. Computers are very intelligent, very smart, but computers will never be able to tell you how to live. If you have anybody in your life that actually loves you, that really loves you, if you have anybody in your life that's a real person, that person is going to fight with you. That person is going to argue with you. That's the truth. Take anybody that you love you tell me you don't get upset when you feel like they're not making the right decisions in life In fact, I would submit and say the more you love that person the more angry you get at that person Because they don't you know sometimes you just know You know you sit with your child and the child says leave me alone I want to I want to be able to discern for myself, you know three four year old child I want to be able to discern for myself what is right and wrong Just leave me alone. Just can you just leave me alone for two hours. You say what are you crazy? I leave you alone for two hours. You'll die Right? Any, anybody who loves anybody will fight with them, will contradict them at times. It's going to happen, more often than not. The more they love you, the more they're going to fight. Loved ones are going to come at you, they're going to contradict you, um, and you need that. You know why you need that? Because if you don't have that in your life, you will never change. You will never change. Do you have a God that contradicts you, that argues with you? He argues with you through his word. He speaks into us, and that word lasts And he will fight you and he will argue with you. If you have a personal God, if you have any personal God in your life, not just a God that's an extension of your feelings, not just a silent God that you've created, if you have an infallible God, you have an infallible word that speaks into us, that often argues with us. If you don't have a fallible Bible, you have a God that you've created to just fit your own needs. Think of it this way. How are you ever, how, how's that God, a God that you've created, ever going to help you when your heart is broken? How's a God that you've created, something that's just an extension of your own feelings, when you feel ugly, how's it going to contradict you and tell you who you really are in Christ? How is that God ever going to contradict you to tell you the good things you don't want to believe if you don't let him tell you the bad things that you don't want to believe? That's the word of God the word of God's going to fight you. It's never going to fall to the ground. And you come into contact with the word and let it have its way with you. If you submit to it, it's going to humble you. It's going to break you. because when you, The more you take it in, it's going to break you. That's, that's one way you know you're taking it in. If you come into church thinking you figured it out, the word of God hasn't broken you. But if you come in and you hear and it's breaking you, sometimes tearing you apart, then you know you're taking it in. For example, let's take what we do, you know, do not bear false witness, don't lie. The more you take in the word, you know it has, God's word has lasting power, right? That means that it's going to show you that you're a liar. We're all liars. We lie to ourselves all the time to kind of shield ourselves from our egos in many ways. We lie to ourselves all the time. We lie to other people, and that's going to break us. When you do that, that's going to break you. If you let the, but if you let the word of God come in, it's always going to tell you the truth about who you are. Always, always tell you the truth about your life. It's never going to fall to the ground, and it's going to break your pride, and it's going to show you ultimately the way to become an honest person. What's the alternative? The alternative is this. If you don't let the word of God come in and break your pride, someday it's going to come and break your life. Until the ultimate someday when it's going to judge your life. How does it do that? Go ahead. Go lie to somebody. Some people already are. In this room, there are people who are. And they're sowing discord between people. And they're sowing discord even in this congregation. It happens. It's going to happen. You know what's happening? The more you lie, the less you're becoming a real person. The less you are connected to reality. The less you are connecting other people to reality. When you lie to other people around you, when you lie to yourself, you're abusing other people around you because you're lying to them. You're keeping the truth. You're refusing to keep the truth in their lives. You're actually pulling them away from the truth. You're pulling reality away from a person when you're lying to them. And if that knowledge, if knowledge equals power, then that knowledge is powerful. It's taking them away from truth, taking them away from their humanity, taking them away from power, real power in their lives. Try to break the Word of God, and it's going to break you. But the Word of God cannot be broken. It will never fall to the ground. It's always going to stand. It's always going to remain strong. It's always going to be right. Everything that is beautiful, everything that is true will be in the Word. It's always going to be a picture of real reality, not your interpretation of reality, real reality. It's always going to be, you know, it's integrated. It's always going to be consistent. It's always going to be true. And that truth will hold itself together It will never fall to the ground. So if your words are not in line with that truth, if your interpretation of life is not in line with that truth, your words will fall to the ground. It will break you up. It will break your marriage up. It will break your relationships up. The very things that you're lying so that you can gain, you will lose until the ultimate day when all will be lost. It will break your life. What that means is you have to take the word in. You have to take it in. Not just read the Bible. You have to meditate on the Bible. You know what meditation is? It's not just reading. It's letting the words just sit there. Let it just do its thing. You can't just read it. You can't just meditate on it, though. You have to study it. You have to seek what it means. And then you have to memorize it. You have to hide it in there. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we read it in our, I believe, in the the Word of Encouragement today. You are born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. It means when you let the word in, you're going to last forever. You know why? Because the word lasts forever. So if you're seeking real beauty, the word is going to show you the real beauty, true beauty. If you're seeking real living, real life, the word is going to show you what real life is. If you're seeking real truth about the way we interpret the world, the word is going to show you the ultimate interpretation of what, how the world works It's brokenness, it's redemption, it's renewal. If you're looking for real reality, the world is going to show you the, the word is going to show you real reality. If you're looking for true comfort, beyond all the ways that we seek comfort, the other addictive ways that we seek comfort. The word is going to show you real comfort. When we do not take in the word, we're going to pursue the imperishable. We're going to pursue the imperishable things. But through other things that are actually perishable. We're looking for things that are going to last forever, through things that are not going to last forever. And that's when the corrosion sets in. That's when it begins to rot, begin to fall to the ground, the promises will rot and fall to the ground, look at what your job promises you. The ways that we step over other people to get ahead, think about what that promises you. You're telling me that's not going to fall to the ground? Look at what your wealth, the accumulation of wealth, what it's going to promise you. It says you can have real security, but for how long? It's only going to last as long as that job lasts. If you bank everything, becoming imperishable, this comes from the denial of death. Ernest Becker wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning book. But mainly what we say is we're always seeking to become imperishable through things that are perishable. So when you seek it in a relationship, oh, it's great when the relationship's there. But when that relationship disappoints you, the world, your view of the world changes. Your view of this church will change. Your view of yourself will change when your relationship either ends or is broken. When you bank your life on your salary, a $500,000 salary, you think, if I can just have that, my life will be pretty much pain-free. Think about it. Number one, it's only going to last as that $500,000 salary lasts. That's why downturns exist in the world. Downturns are corrections in the economy, but it's also a correction of our hearts and souls. We put too much in it, more than it's meant to carry, more than it's meant to hold. That's how the corrosion sets in. And when it sets in, those words will fall to the ground. We begin to rot and dissipate and disintegrate. The Bible says on the last day, the word of God will literally be up and actually break our souls. You can't escape it. Either you will come broken or you will become broken. You get that? Do you see that? Either you will come broken before the word of God or you will become broken by the Word of God. You cannot escape it. Either you take it in and, 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 and consume it, or it will one day consume you whole. Consume you. Human words fall to the ground, but not the Word of God. It does not come empty. It cannot be broken. It is powerful and irresistible. One way, it's going to break you one way or the other. Last point. How can it be applied? Number one, it can be applied. Here's the good news. If you're willing to take the Word of God in, You will become imperishable. Look at Jesus Christ. Absolutely obsessed with the Word of God. Jesus was absolutely obsessed with the Word of God. Every decision he makes, every question he answers, any trouble he experiences, any difficulty he encounters. When you see Jesus in his extremity, in his extremity, tempted by Satan, 40 days hungry in the desert going absolutely crazy at Gethsemane, praying on behalf of his people, praying about what is going to befall him, what he's about to endure on the cross. In Gethsemane, he's going crazy. When you see him on the cross, and you finally see him breaking apart, and you see his mind and his heart is breaking under the wrath of God, what is he doing? What is he doing? Always even when he's dying on the cross, he's abandoned by his friends, rejected by the people that he loves, rejected by people, people who don't, don't even know who he is. What does he do? He's quoting scripture. Everywhere. He's just reciting scripture. Everywhere. He's being arrested at Gethsemane. And, uh, this, you know, Peter, always Peter, he takes out his sword at Gethsemane to defend Jesus. What does Jesus say? Peter don't you think that my father would send 12 legions of angels? But then he goes, but Peter, if that happens, how will the scripture be fulfilled? That's what he says. In other words, Peter, you don't understand. I have to die. Because he is obsessed with with obeying God's word. Even though it brings him to his death, it brought him to his knees. He was broken. At Gethsemane, he was broken. He says, My soul is grieved to the point of death. That means that Jesus, before he died, died twice. And yet, he says, How will the scripture be fulfilled? He's taking the word in. He knows the word. He wants to obey the word. He's applying the word. He's applying the word in a way, even though it comes at a loss to him, he knows. He's trusting. Well, Jesus is saying this I'm doing what scripture says. Peter, I am doing what scripture says. You need to do what Scripture says. He says, Scripture says, I have to die. And it will be fulfilled. And you must help me fulfill that. You need to fulfill that. What Jesus is saying is, you know, on the road to the cross, he's got the cross on his back. And these women are crying. Literally, in the Gospels, if you read the Gospels, these women are there crying. What does he say to the women? Daughters of Jerusalem, weep for yourselves. Don't weep for me. For someday they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us and hide us from the face of him who sits upon the throne. That was Jesus. At the lowest point of his life, he's still trusting that one day the word of God, because of the word of God, it will redeem him. It will vindicate him. Everyone is saying that can't be the Messiah. On the cross. The Messiah would never suffer like that. Jesus is trusting. He's trusting in God's word. And you know what? You know how far he trusted God's word? On the cross. Even though his identity is rooted on the word, in the most deepest agony of his soul on the cross, God himself has departed from him. What does he quote? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's literally remembering scripture still. Psalm 22, he's quoting. To his dying moment, he's still meditating, still memorizing the word. When he's in enormous pain, when he's about to just explode, he's about to burst, he's at the very end of his rope, whatever is coming to his mind, whatever is coming to your mind at the deepest moments of your life, when you are at the end of your rope, that is what you worship. That, that thing that you turn to when you are at the end of your rope and you're saying, you're, you're crawling on the floor and you're saying, I wanted this. That is what you worship. Jesus says, my God, my God. I feel like there's like someone else here like making noise with me, right? You guys hear that? My God, my God, that's what he says. He's remembering scripture. The things that we turn to in the moments when we feel like we're rotting, when we feel like we're perishing, that is the true center of our being. What was it for Jesus? Even though he was perishing, Jesus was trusting that as he takes in the word, the word is enduring, he will be made, he will be made imperishable. And because scripture, because Jesus Himself relied on Scripture, although his body was laid in the ground, you know, on the cross, this is the same person who said, one day all of Scripture will be fulfilled. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, my words are falling to the ground. God has not heard me. My words are rotting. I'm falling to the ground. I'm falling to the ground. My words have never reached the Father. Why? So that your words will reach the Father. Jesus remembered God's enduring word. Jesus is remembering his promise. In Isaiah 53, it says Jesus is satisfied by the promise that your prayers will be heard that's why on the cross he's saying my god has abandoned me if you take the word of god into your life if you build your life on that it doesn't matter who's scoffing at at you it doesn't matter who thinks you're crazy if you take the word of god into your life you know heaven and earth it's going to pass away your family as much as you love them they're going to pass away and even before your family your career one day you are going to build it up to lord knows how far you will build it up your body won't even be able to support it. Your career will fade away. You're going to enter into retirement, and it's going to take you at least two or three years to adjust to that, depending on commensurate with how much you, how hard you've worked. And you're going to look for fulfillment in your family, and you know what's going to happen? Your children will have their own families. They're going to pass away. Folks, even before we're laid into the ground ourselves, it's going to pass away. That's the reality. That's life. It's part of a cycle in many ways. Some people see it as just a cycle. But the thing is, the reality is, heaven and earth will pass away. Family will pass away. Career will pass away. But if you take a stand on the word of God, God's words will never pass away. When we say that his promises are real, they are substantive. They are real. You have to take the life of Christ and the death of Christ. He has banked his promise and sealed it in his Son. So we have something to look at as a seal of his promise forever. That's good news. It's nothing we can work up to. You gotta take it in. Will you take it in? Take his word in. Jesus himself took it in. That's what he was resting on. That's what kept him from blowing up in anger, blowing up in pride. Do you know who I am? On the cross. They were mocking him and called him the king of the Jews. And yet he suffered, bled, and died. And he said, and to into the end, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. What about you? This passage says that we have to submit to the Word of God. And through the Word of God, when you take in that imperishable seed, the seed of Christ and his gospel, you become imperishable. You become an imperishable person. You want beauty? That's going to be ultimate beauty. You want certainty, there is nothing more certain. You can, do, you can live according to what you were designed to be. A billion years from now, you will still know who you will be with, where you will be, what you'll be doing. That is unbelievable, imperishable. When Samuel spoke God's word, God did not let any of his words fall to the ground. It doesn't really say anything about what Samuel said because it wasn't very important. Samuel's words weren't what was important because they weren't his own. It said the Lord was with Samuel. Remember the gospel, the presence of God with you. How do you do that? You pray, you read, you reflect, you meditate. Even on the cloudy days when you don't see sun, it doesn't mean the sun isn't there. One day the clouds kind of open up and the words, they peek through. They start to make sense. There's clarity there. A lot of times we live in confusion, but it doesn't mean that the word of God isn't true. Those two things are disjoint. One doesn't follow the other. Just because I don't know why God does something in my life doesn't mean that God doesn't have a good reason to do something in my life. The clouds are there, but one day the cloud the sun will peek through the clouds and there will be clarity. Stay with it. Pray, read, meditate, memorize. Even on the cloudy days, trust in the word of God. God's word will never fall to the ground. And you will grow. And you will mature. One of the best ways to remember is to plug into community. Because you need some, you know, there's a passage in Acts chapter 8 where there's an Ethiopian eunuch basically departing from the temple because he traveled a long way to get to the temple only to realize that eunuchs can't enter in because they're deformed. And so he's reading Isaiah 53, he's trying to make sense out of it, and he's reading it, he's meditating on it, he's praying it, but he doesn't get it. It took Philip to run alongside him in the chariot and literally explain it to him. We need community. I'm not talking about singing together here in the congregation. We need that too. There's a reason why we do that too. We need community. That means I need to get messy with you, and trust me, if you get messy with somebody, they get messy with you, you're gonna get messy with them. If you get messy with somebody, they're going to get messy with you. You need that. And through there, trusting. You can't do that void of trusting and meditating and reflecting and reading and studying and hearing and explaining to one another, reminding one another, helping each other to remember. When you do that in community, as a community, that is beautiful. That changes people. God's word will never fall to the ground. It will sustain you in temptation. It will comfort you in suffering. It will bless you with real blessing. Point you to true beauty, which is Christ. True righteousness, which is Christ. True love, which is Christ. Will you submit to it? Will you submit to it? Let's pray.